0: Well, good morning. Good to see all of you. Uh, This is the first time uh, that I've ever preached sitting down before you. uh, I've been doing this several years in my class on Sunday morning. And I want you to know that I have a biblical tradition that I'm following. Uh, The scriptures say that Jesus, when he would teach at the synagogue, uh, the people would stand for the reading of the word of God like we do every Sunday, And, uh, and then when the people sit down, Jesus would sit down and give the exposition of scripture following the tradition of the rabbi. Uh, so I find in my old age, I need to follow this tradition more. <laughs> uh, I was reminded even this week that uh, the power is in the word of God, not whether you're standing or sitting. The power is in the word of God. God. And I want to keep preaching uh, the Word of God, preaching and teaching the Word of God as long as the Lord will let me. And whatever I have to do to do that, that's what I'm going to do. So, uh, I just wanted to mention that as a word of explanation. I want to call your attention today to a very important prophetic passage in the book of the Revelation. So turn your Bibles to Revelation twenty. And I want us to look at verses eleven through fifteen this morning. Uh, now I'm I'm preaching on this passage because of two reasons. First of all, it's a warning that every person needs to hear. It's a warning that every person needs to hear. Secondly, next Sunday uh, in my class, we're going to start a short series on eternity, heaven, or hell. We're going to be looking at what the Bible says about heaven and what the Bible says about hell. And uh, if you don't normally attend the class, I would invite you to come. Uh, we'll probably, it'll be a short series, probably a couple of months, two, two and a half months. Uh, so we invite you to come if you don't normally come to the class because it's a very important study. Uh Now, let me set the context here before I read uh, our text for today. Uh, In Revelation 19, you have the second coming of Jesus Christ. Second coming with, with his angels and with all of his saints who had gone to be with him. And when the Lord Jesus comes back, it declares him King of kings, Lord of lords, and uh, you have the battle of Armageddon where the Antichrist and the false prophet and all their armies go against the Lord and his people. And the and the scriptures say in chapter 19 that Jesus just speaks the word and they are all slaughtered. That's so what it means that a sharp two-edged sword coming out and he just speaks the word and they are slaughtered slaughtered they're put down and the Antichrist and the false prophet is thrown into the lake of fire right after that in chapter 20 verses 1 through 10 you have Satan being bound John sees Satan is bound and Christ comes back as he's come back to set up his earthly kingdom and righteousness will rule and reign for 1,000 years. At the end of the thousand years, Satan will be released. And after a thousand years of righteousness, he convinces people to once again follow him and go against the Lord and his army. And once again, the Lord just speaks the word and they're all slaughtered. And Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, and then right after this, beginning verse 11, going through the end of the chapter, verse 15, you have the judgment of unbelievers, the great white throne judgment. So let me read this, and I, w- uh, I want to encourage you to take out your outline to follow along as we look at that th- this this morning. The scripture reads, Then I saw John this is what John saw. By the way, if you've never studied the book of Revelation, this is what John does. He says, I saw this, I heard this. Then he's I saw this, I heard this, I saw this, I heard this. It's very easy to follow. Well, he see he sees these things beginning in verse eleven. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place to frown for them. That is, there was no place they could hide. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, all all the unbelievers are going to be there, great or small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. And another book which was opened, which is the book of life. Notice he has books... And then book, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to things written in the books. According to their deeds. And the sea gave up their dead that were in it. And death and Hades, Hades the place of the great, gave up their dead. them. So he's talking about the resurrection. And they were judged. Every one of them was judged. According to their deeds. Then death and Hades. Were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire. And if anyone's name. Has not been found written in the book of life. He was thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, Look over at uh, chapter 21 verse 8. Mentions the second death again. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving, the abominable, and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars. Well, there's going to be a lot of people with that. All liars will be a part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It's called the second death because they not only die fiscally, they have now died spiritually, eternally separated from God and His people. Now, contrary to what many people believe, the Bible clearly teaches both Old Testament and New Testament that when a person dies, when they leave this world and go out into eternity, There's only one of two places they will be going to. And where they go will be determined on whether they have trusted Christ and Him alone for their salvation or rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. For example, Daniel 12.2 says this, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, These to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Everlasting life or everlasting contempt, that's it. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats. The sheep meaning believers in Jesus Christ, the goats unbelievers and he talks about the separation of the sheep and the goats and Jesus says in Matthew 25 verse 46 these will go away to eternal punishment or they will the righteous to eternal life that's it eternal punishment or eternal life everlasting contempt or everlasting life. That's it. There is no other. There is no purgatory. There is no baptism for the dead. When you leave this life. You either go to one. Or the other. They are real places. And the Bible. Has a lot to say about that. Jesus. Jesus. Uh, talked about this a lot, especially hell. Do you know he talked about hell more than he talked about heaven? He talked a lot about heaven too, but more about hell. Because he did not want people to be going there. Now, we have uh, we have real twisted views today about eternal punishment, eternal destruction, or... Hell uh, let me give you a definition that I have come up with uh, in my study of scripture on what hell and the eternal state will be like and it's simply put it's this hell is giving unbelievers what they really want. It's giving unbelievers what they really want. They don't want a relationship with God then they will be separated from God for all eternity. They don't want to be around God's people. Then they will be separated from God's people and all other people for all eternity. Jesus talked about hell as total darkness, which means not only will you not see God, you won't see anybody else. It'll be like uh, being in torment for all eternity, all alone. So they don't want a relationship with God, then they'll be separated from Him. They don't want a relationship with God's people. They will be separated from God's people and all other people. They don't want to follow God's laws or accept Christ's payment for their sin then they will pay the penalty for their sins for all eternity. The Lord does not want anybody going to hell. He did not prepare hell for men. He prepared hell for Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, and the demons. But if you follow Satan... You'll end up in the same place. Now, I realize that this is not a subject which is popular or pleasant. No preacher ever enjoys preaching about hell. Uh, It's not, and it's not a popular or pleasant subject. Even among preachers, uh, it's so unpleasant that many preachers ignore it or deny it. I I came across a poll that was taken some years ago among Protestant ministers, and in this poll, over 50% of them said they did not believe in eternal punishment. It probably would be a lot more today. It's not a pleasant subject. It's not a popular subject. I mean, I I doubt if many of you have called your friends and said, Come on over tonight, and we'll have dinner and talk about hell. (laughs) No, it's not a popular subject or, or pleasant subject, but it's a very, very important subject. It's like other things. Crime is not a pleasant subject, but it's a very important subject. We're learning that more even in the United States here. War is ugly and, and a very sad subject. We reminded that this week with what has happened in Ukraine. Little babies and children being killed because of the evil mind of certain people. Worse, it's an ugly and sad thing, but it's very important. Certain diseases are difficult subjects to talk about, but it's very important to talk about them. And it's very important to talk about this subject. It's very difficult, it's an unpleasant subject. No pastor enjoys preaching on it, but it's it is a subject that all of us must understand. And we need to be warning people about this. Now look at your outlines. Uh, John saw three things in these these verses. He saw three things. He saw the judge in verse 11. The great white throne and the judge sitting on the throne. And then verses 12 and 13, he saw those who were judged. Who, who is it that is standing before this throne? And then verses 14 and 15, he talks about the judgment. That comes upon all unbelievers. He begins in verse 11 with the judge. He says he saw a great white throne. Every king, if, if you've ever done any studying on this, and you probably have seen it in videos or movies, every king had two thrones. There was the governmental throne. Uh, This is for... This symbolized his position and authority. When he met with the people, he would sit on this throne. He's the king. He's the one in charge. And so there was the governmental throne. And then there was a throne of judgment. And he would hear cases and he would render decisions... And renter the sentence. And when he did that, he sat on the throne of judgment. The throne that is used here is the throne of judgment. It's come the time. All unbelievers are there. And they're standing. He's on his throne of judgment. And it's a great white throne. Uh... It's great because of God's great justice and power. It's white because of His holiness and glory. He is the the most righteous and holy judge who's ever been upon planet earth. No others can compare to Him. And so he saw the great white throne, and he says, Him who sat upon it. Who's the one sitting on the throne? Well, we, we don't have to guess. We just let Scripture interpret Scripture. And in Acts 17.31 it says, it says of the Lord God, He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He has appointed. The Father has appointed a man. Having furnished proof, he proved who this man is to all men by raising him from the dead. The one raised from the dead is who? Jesus. Jesus is the one sitting on his throne. Christ will judge all men with perfect righteousness and justice. Nobody will be able to say he was unfair. And you notice, say, when this time comes, there'll be no place for them to hide. It says in verse 11, no place was found for them. There'll be no place to hide. They'll want to hide, but they can't. Fire will come down and devour the enemies, his enemies, and Satan, and they'll be thrown into the lake of fire. His blazing glory will melt away the heaven and the earth, all the sin on the heaven and the earth. Psalm 97 verse 5 in Second Peter 3.10 talks about a fire and it melts and He creates a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21.1 There will be no place to hide. They will stand before this throne Christ will be sitting on the throne. He will judge them with perfect righteousness and justice, and there'll be no place for them to hide. Judgment day. If I had to say this, and what he's saying is, judgment day has come, and no unbeliever can escape it. Now. One thing I want you to keep in mind. When Christ came the first time, He came as our Savior. But when He comes back the second time, my friend, He will come back the Judge. In fact, I I remember doing a sermon years ago in Revelation 19, and the title of my sermon was, Here Come the Judge. Because that's what's going to happen. He came the first time as our Savior. He doesn't want us to have go into eternal punishment. He provided a way of salvation. He went to great lengths to pay the penalty for our sins. So that we would not have to pay them. But if we reject that, judgment day will come, and no unbeliever can escape it. So John sees the judge, and then in verses 12 and 13, he talks about those who are judged by this judge sitting on the great white throne, by Jesus Christ. And all believers will be there. He says, all unbelievers are going to be there. He says, I all the dead and the great and the small. Do you know what that means? When this time comes, all the things that are so important to people won't matter at all. Their, their status in the world, how much money they have, what kind of position they have, None of that will matter. The great and the small will be there. It doesn't matter whether you're a president of a country or a cleaning man. It doesn't matter. All these things that people put so much value in, status and wealth and position, it won't matter. So he says all unbelievers are going to be there. And they will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ in his throne. And the first thing that happens is that the Lord Jesus Christ, the books will be open. Notice he talks about books, plural, and book, singular. And he identifies the book as the book of life which all believers' names are written in that book. But first he opens the books, plural. Now, what are in these books? These books record every person, for every person, everything they ever thought, everything they ever said, everything they ever did. Nobody will be able to say, no, I didn't say that or do that. You know, yes, you do. I've got it recorded right here. Christ will judge every, and he will judge every man according to his works. He's not judging that they can't earn salvation by their works. The scriptures are very clear on that. We are saved by faith in Christ and Christ alone. It's not faith plus works. But he's judging them according to the works. Why? To prove that his judgment is absolutely fair and just. He's absolutely fair and it's just. They are guilty because he has the evidence for all of it. He's absolutely fair and just, but also another reason for this is uh, to is to indicate the degree of punishment. Now, let, let me illustrate it like this: in the Old Testament, in God's laws, when 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 a Jewish citizen broke God's laws, when God's laws were broken, did everybody receive the same punishment? No, some punishment were. Execution. Some punishment was restitution. And God in His fairness, when they stand before the great white throne, uh, in His fairness, He will judge them and they will receive the degree of punishment according to their sins. Uh, Now, what are the reasons for this judgment? There are three reasons I want to give you uh for this judgment first of all this judgment will vindicate the holiness of god the sovereignty and holiness of god hebrews 113 says uh, the lord says he will make your enemies a footstool for your feet god is holy god is sovereign And they will vindicate the holiness and sovereignty of God. Another reason he has his judgment is to separate the good from the evil. That's why he does the separation of the sheep and the goats. He's separating good from evil. Uh, Why? Because there'll be no sin in heaven. Boy, that's going to be great, isn't it? No sin in heaven. Nothing to worry about. Uh, uh, Temptation of sin. He's going to separate the good from the evil. There will be no sin in heaven. And then thirdly, he does it. Listen to this. To bring a conclusion to the sinful habits of men. Uh, Boy, do I long for that. There will be no more evil. There will be no more corruption. There will be no more lies. He separates, he brings to the conclusion, the sinful habits of men. And so, the judge that is sitting on this throne, he opens the books He's completely, perfectly fair and just in his judgment. He opens the books there and from the books they'll all be found guilty. but he he brings a conclusion to the sinful habits of men. He separates good from evil. and all unbelievers are there to be judged and then in verses 14 and 15 after seeing the judge and those who are to be judged he pronounces his judgment in verses 14 and 15 he says death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire lake of fire is the second death uh, he says in anyone's name that was not written in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, it's very interesting the word he uses that is translated the lake of fire. All will be found guilty by their works, Their name is, and their name is not in the book of life, so Christ sentences them to the lake of fire. And the word that is used here, listen to this. The word that is used here is Gehenna. Now, if you lived in Jerusalem, you would know what Gehenna was. Gehenna was the dumping ground for the filth of Jerusalem. It was a city dumping ground. And this is why the Bible describes hell along this line. Uh, The Bible describes this place as a place where... The worm never dies. Something to eat all the time. The worm never dies. Uh, it describes it as the fire was never quenched. It was a dumping ground. The fire was never quenched. And and then the Bible describes hell as there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, The gnashing of teeth were the jackals at the dump and grind. They'd fight over dead carcasses. And he uses this word to describe the lake of fire. It's a place where the worm never dies. It's a place where the fire is never quenched. there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place of eternal destruction. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but eternal destruction. When you think of destruction, you think of an end, don't you? I mean, things are destroyed, so they come to an end. But this is eternal destruction. So this is the Lord's word picture of the lake of fire. You may be thinking, why is hell so bad? Why does the Lord make it so bad? My friend, because sin is so bad. Sin is so bad. I mean, look at the evil and sin today. Uh... And he, so he talks about the lake of fire. They're all found guilty. They're sentenced to the lake of fire. And he says, this is the second death. See, hell is not only a place of torment, but also it's a place of eternal separation from God. It's the second death. Um... Somebody has put it this way. I I like this very much. Uh, If you're born once, you will die twice. You will die physically, and you will die spiritually, eternally separated from God. But if you're born twice, you only die once. And there will be one generation of Christians that won't even die once. First Corinthians 15 talks about those living, when the rapture of the church, the Lord just changes our body in the twinkling of an eye. I don't know about you, but I hope, I hope, I hope I'm a part of that group. But if you're born once, you'll die twice. But if you're born twice, you only die once. And God will overcome that. When he resurrects a body, we'll overcome death, the final enemy. Now, I want to close here by emphasizing something that is very important for us to understand. My friend, the Lord does not want anybody to go to hell. He's gone to great lengths. To avoid it. 2 Peter 3.9. Listen to this. Maybe you've asked the question. Lord why don't you come back and judge people. Well 2 Peter 3.9 answers that question. The Lord is patient. That's why. The Lord is patient. Toward those not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Why does the Lord delay His judgment? Because the Lord is patient. The Lord does not want anybody to perish. He wants men to come to repentance. It's interesting, to the very end, the Lord keeps offering the gospel. Even the final seven years, which is called the tribulational period of human history, when he pours out his three series of judgments upon mankind, at the same time, he is continually to the very end offering the gospel. In Revelation 11, it talks about two men, Two prophets that God raises up. I believe they'll be Moses and Elijah come back to life. These two great prophets will preach the gospel with great power. And thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews will come to Christ. Then Revelation 7 tells us that God will take from every tribe from the nation of Israel... Uh, he will take from every tribe and he will raise up 144,000 Jewish witnesses. He'll put his, his brand upon them where nobody can harm them. They will go all over the earth, all over the earth, preaching the gospel. And it says that so many people from every nation, every tongue will be saved. So many people is going to be saved that you can't count them. The greatest time in evangelism is going to be at the end. Why? Because God does not want men to be lost. And then Revelation 16 tells about before God pours out His final judgment, He sends an angel across heaven preaching the gospel. My friend, God is patient. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. But if you reject him, you will pray through him. there's nobody that can stand before the Lord and say you haven't been fair with me in life. Nobody. Somebody has written a poem called The Great White Throne. He says, I dreamed that the great white judgment morning had dawned and the trumpet had blown. And I dreamed that nations had gathered to judgment before the white throne. And the throne came a bright, shining angel. And stood on the land and the sea. And the sword in his hand raised to heaven. The time no longer to be. The rich man was there. But his money had melted and vanished away. The pauper he stood in the judgment. His debts were too heavy to pay. The great man was there. But his greatness, when death came, was left behind. The angel that opened the second records, not a trace of the, uh, his greatness could find. The gambler was there, the drunkard was there, and those who sold him the drink, and those who sold the license together in hell they sink. The moral men came to judgment. But his self-righteousness would not do him any good. The men who crucified Jesus had passed off as moral men too. The soul that put off salvation, not tonight, I'll get saved by and by, no time to think of religion, at last he had found time to die. And oh, the weeping and wailing, as long as lost, they told their fate. They cried for the rocks and the mountains. They prayed, but their prayer was too late. This is why Jesus says to us, says to all men, do whatever you need to do to avoid this place. He has to have this place because he's a righteous judge. But he says, do whatever you need to do to avoid this place. We need to tell that to people. Jesus said, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. May it be better to go into eternity without one hand than to spend eternity in hell. He says, If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Be better to go into eternity with one eye than to burn for all eternity in hell. Do whatever you need to do to avoid it. My friend, judgment day is coming. One day God's patience is going to come to an end. Judgment day is coming. One day evil is going to be put down. Righteousness is going to rule and reign. Judgment Day is coming. This is why we must, we must be continually telling people the gospel. We need to warn Him. God has provided a way. Don't wait. Salvation is now. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this prophetic text of Scripture. And Lord, I pray that we might be moved in realizing God does not want anybody to perish. God does not want anybody to... So us, Lord, to be preaching and teaching the gospel, being a witness to the gospel, that men might come to know You as their personal Savior. And that You might be their Lord and save them from their sin and give them Your perfect righteousness. Help us, Lord, not to get distracted from this mission of the church. Help us to always be a church that is continually telling people the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they will not have to go to this place. May that be a commitment to every believer in this fellowship. So thank you for what you've taught us today. And I pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but Lord, that this will move us to be doing things that are important in the life of people. So I commit this message to you and your people in Jesus name. Amen. We're going to close by singing about God's mercy and um